lot of athletes, especially when things are going really well, the last thing that they want to do is take a break, even if their goal race is in the rear view. But trust me on this. You want to take your breaks as seriously as you're training and much better to take a planned break and be a little grumpy about it at the beginning then be forced to take a break sometime down the road because you're injured, burned out, sick, overtrained, yeah. overtrained, whatever it may be. I see this all the time, not only with athletes that I work with, but folks who reach out to me for questions, people that I train with. When things are going good, you want to keep them going, but we're human beings. It doesn't matter how experienced you are, how good you are. We all need breaks. You need breaks to absorb training. You need breaks to just shut things down mentally as, as much as physically, especially if you are someone who's doing hard workouts and long runs and always building toward the next goal. That takes a lot of mental and emotional energy. You can't be on all the time. You got to shut it off. For the second Ask Mario Anything episode of 2021, we're a little behind schedule on this one, but we got a lot of questions submitted from listeners on the other side of the mic for this one. Once again, two in a row is I know. Chris Douglas, Sponsorship Director of The Morning Shakeout. Thanks for coming back on with me. Happy to be here. It's a lot of fun last time. Looking forward to doing it again. Yeah, I think uh, I'll probably hear from Jeff and John after this one that, you know, they had to sit another one out, but... Hey, you know what? I think it. I think I have an unfair advantage that I live literally 4.2 miles away from you, I think. Is that right? Is it exactly 4.2 it's, miles? Yeah, it's exactly that. Because, uh, I mean, I, I run by your house on my... I have this Wednesday loop that I do, so I know exactly how far it is. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, <laughs> I'm excited to, to be here. You have a lovely back patio. It's a great place to have this kind of conversation, but catch me up on what you've been up to. I have a little idea because we talk every week, yeah. but do you have a race coming up this I, weekend? I do. Yeah. From the date of this recording, I have a race in, you know, four days, uh, up in Casco Bay, Portland, in Portland, Maine. It's a, it's a swim run, pretty sporty one. It's about 20 miles total crossing 10 islands, about five miles of swimming all mixed up. Um, you know, it's going to be a, a ton of fun. That sounds pretty rad. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I did this race three years ago, and you know, having my own podcast and all that stuff, I feel like my swim run IQ is super high, so it's going to be really fun to just try to express some fitness and, and uh, see what me and my partner can do. Is it the same course as last time? Well, that's, that's the thing. Swim run is such a unique thing where courses change, ah. uh, conditions change, and you just have to kind of roll with it, so it requires a certain comfort with dealing with ambiguity, I guess. Like eight stations might not be exactly where they are. Running in some distances are basically approximate. Yeah, so it's a different course every year. All right. So by the time this recording comes out, that race will have been yeah. in the rearview mirror. So yeah. if you don't already follow the Low Tide Boys <laughs> on Instagram, I'm sure aside from their witty memes that they put up every week, they'll have some sort of recap. If not yeah. on your podcast, I'm sure yeah. you and Chipper will go over it in, in detail. I'll certainly listen to, yep. to that one. I love hearing about your endurance exploits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it should be fun. Yeah, we definitely are going to do a race recap episode episode right after as soon as we get back um so yes 
check that out if you're if you're interested in learning more about Swimrun. Cool. Well, before we get into the listener questions for this one, I'll turn it over to you since your job is yeah. to manage the sponsorship for the Morning Shakeout. Who do we have supporting the show this week? So we have two sponsors, which I'm not just saying this because it's my job, but I actually love these two brands. The first one is New Balance and the other is Gooder. I love both of those brands as well. I have a pair of New Balance Hero trail shoes on my feet as we speak. I have a pair of Gooder sunglasses on the table right in front of us. I do use all the products that we talk about here on the show because I too believe in them. I'm not going to partner with a brand that I don't align with, whose products that I don't use. I've been a long time fan of New Balance as a brand. I grew up in the Boston area. I ran for New Balance Boston for a few years. I've been really, really proud of our partnership over the past two years. I wear their shoes exclusively now. I can go through my entire suite of them, but my my go-to shoe is the 1080 V11. I wear that for most of my miles. I have a, a newer shoe called the More. And it's a high cushion shoe. Mm-hmm. I love it for recovery days. I actually wore that last night on a little shakeout with Christine. And then this morning, the shoe that I'm going to tell everyone about today is called the Rebel V2. I am I am in love with this shoe. <laughs> it is my favorite running shoe right now. It's so fun to run in. It is lightweight. It's pretty low to the ground, but well cushioned. It's just it's just lively. I mean, I get a lot of energy return back from that shoe. I've been wearing it for all of my faster workouts. I've been throwing it on for some long runs. It does not have a plate in it, and I kind of like that. I mean, I love the plated shoes for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. racing, but I love using this as a workout shoe because I do feel like I'm getting a little bit of energy return from the ground, but my foot can move very naturally. It's super lightweight uh, and it's just so fun to run in. I was looking this morning like, holy cow, I've already put like 250 miles on yeah. this pair of shoes. Well, I feel like the, the fuel cell technology that that shoe has and a lot of the New mm-hmm. Balance shoes use, it's just so great. I mean, it retains its form. It's just, it's just an amazing piece of tech that they have it on across multiple shoes on their line. So mm-hmm. you don't have to get, you know, their super carbon fiber plated shoe. You know, the Rebel 2 has it as well. But Fuel Cell is their their fast line. Mm-hmm. And there is a trickle down effect throughout the entire line. So this same foam is the one that is used in their racers. It's present in some of their racing spikes that you're seeing on the feet of New Balance athletes at the Olympic Games right now. Mm-hmm. It's built to go fast, and I, I love it. I love how it feels on my feet. Uh, I'm due for a, a new pair of Rebel V2s, so I'm going to put a request in for, for those soon. But um, check it out. It's definitely a shoe that you want to have in your quiver, especially for faster workouts. It's also going to be a great race shoe for many people it's available in men's and women's you can find it on newbalance.com so that's the rebel v2 it's uh it's it's my shoe shoe of the moment right now yeah it's great i mean i I love that they're a sponsor because just like you growing up in boston new balance for life kind of thing i mean i didn't run for new you know new balance (laughs) boston or anything very pedestrian over here but uh yeah they're great shoes they've never done me wrong i guess i should say so Cool. And who else we got on tap? We got Gooder, Gooder. You say. Yeah. I love Gooder. Got my OGs over here on the table. Um, my favorite colorway, in fact, which is Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble, kind of a, a bluish hue to it. Uh, a Ginger Soul is my other favorite color. Mm-hmm. The, just the black ones that kind of go with 
with everything. I'm not yeah, someone you, who you're, runs. You're, you're in, very blues brothery when it comes to your to your gutters. Well, like, you're not I'm, going I'm just with kind that. of a very blue guy in yeah. general, and part of the reason for that is I'm red green colorblind. So blue is one of the colors that I could I could actually see and appreciate, and it makes it a lot easier for me to to match things. But I'm definitely a blue guy, as I have my blue shoes, my blue shirt, and uh, you know blue hat on my head from time to time but i mean yeah i i love the i love the blue shade um gooders are, are great i mean they're super affordable they're 25 to 35 bucks a piece they're polarized so they really protect your eyes from the sun they're lightweight they're made to be fun um and i think that's the coolest thing about gooders they're they're really fun sunglasses i'll wear them out for jogs but i'll also throw them on just when i'm in the car driving mm-hmm. i'm out walking around i mean we're fortunate to to have a lot of sun exposure here in <laughs> yeah. California, so I need to protect my eyes very often, and I've always got my I've always got my gooders on. So I'm stoked to be partnering with them. Um, they've been they've been incredible. If you go to gooder.com/mario, that's g-o-o-d-r.com/mario, m-a-r-i-o, you can get 15% off your entire order. So yeah. go and pick up a pair. I mean, or two or three pair. I mean, with sunglasses. We all lose them. They get mm-hmm. crushed. Um, at twenty-five to thirty-five bucks a piece, it's a little bit easier to stomach than those those super expensive ones. That yeah. I mean, you would just lose a couple nights of sleep over if if you were to crush them. But I mean, aside from like losing them or misplacing them or whatever, I just like having like different ones for different occasions. I have a pair that I keep in my car, a pair that I run in, a pair yeah. in my wife's car for yep. when we're driving, and then a pair in the house that I'll throw on when I'm just taking Tahoe out for a walk. So gooders are great. I'm stoked to be partnering with them and. And yeah, gooder.com slash Mario. Uh, I think you can also use the code Mario at checkout and you'll save 15% off your order. That's right. And also we got some special. So we told Gooder that we were doing this AM episode and they were a testament to their awesomeness. All the listeners who submitted questions that we read on the show are going to get a free pair. Sweet. Sweet. That is a great deal. So thanks, and Gooder, for that. I think we are going to do our next AMA episode sometime in... October and yep. anyone who submits a question and has it read on the show will receive a pair of Gooder sunglasses. There are a number of ways that you can submit your questions. You can email them to me directly at just mario at themorningshakeout.com. You can submit them to Jeff Stern via Instagram at the AM Shakeout uh, or on Twitter. You can just tweet at us at the AM Shakeout. Jeff Stern, who manages the social media accounts for the Morning Shakeout, will get those. He'll send them my way and we'll throw them in the pool for the next AMA episode. Yeah. So big thank you to Gooder. Yeah, it's totally awesome. So before we get to the listener questions, Mario, I have a question of my own. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Um, life is good right now, man. Um, personally, professionally, and otherwise. Just found out yesterday from my sister and her partner that Christine and I are going to be their child's godparents. Whoa, congratulations. Yeah, so we're pretty, we're pretty stoked about that. That's um, wonderful. So that's, that's good news to kind of to kick off the week. Uh, we're having this conversation on Wednesday. Christine's dad's coming to visit us on Friday. He'll be here for four nights, I believe. And we haven't seen him in over two years at this oh, point. Wow. So we're really excited just to spend some time with him and show him our house and and take him around town here. Because since we since we moved up here to northern Marin County, he hasn't he hasn't been out to see us. So oh, it'll cool. be great to show him our house and where we live. And um, we're pretty excited about that. So he, life is, is life is good for those Is he reasons. a runner? 
No, not at all. Okay. Uh, he, is, um, he is not an athletic man. I shouldn't say he's not athletic. He he works out very regularly. He likes to hit the weights and goes for walks. So he is athletic, but he's not he's not a runner. So you're not going to take him on a tour of Burdell or something like that? Uh, no, not faster than a walking pace. <laughs> gotcha. But we'll try and get him out on some of the trails behind our house because uh, they are beautiful. And I think he'll, he'll really appreciate that. He wants to see Redwood, so we're going to take him to Muir Woods uh, mm-hmm. and go for, for a walk down there. So that'll be super fun. And then beyond on that, I'm about 10 weeks out, a little less than 10 weeks out, I guess, at this point from the Boston Marathon in October. So training is kicking into high gear. Knock on wood, I'm feeling great right now. Mm-hmm. Workouts are going well. Long runs are getting up there. I finally got over that initial initial hump of getting used to going long again. So pretty excited with where my running's at right now. And as you know, we're plugging along with the Morning Shakeout podcast yeah. newsletter coming out weekly, enjoying it. We're in the middle of the Olympics right now, so there's a lot of excitement. Uh, I've been glued to the TV, for better or worse, um, in the mornings and in the evenings, catching events live. So, yeah, I'm just – I'm good. I'm really good. Thank That's you. Awesome. I appreciate That's that. That's awesome. Yeah, the Olympics are so great. I mean, I really like the super random sports that, you know, like air pistol and – got really into archery, like the head-to-head archery uh-huh. stuff. That was just super interesting, really captivating. And, you know, it's it's funny the things that are considered sports. And these are legit things that people all over the world are super into. So the Olympics are great. And yeah, track and field, which is just kicking off the last few days already. Just really amazing stuff. Yeah, the track competition has been really, really exciting. We can talk about that before we get into the listener questions. But I, too, have been watching, I mean, whatever's on TV. I love the three-on-three basketball. (laughs) I thought that was super cool. I mean, I I come from a basketball background. So, I mean, that just reminds me of of playing pickup at the playground when I was a kid. So that's been awesome. We were watching the open water swimming last night, Marathon Mm -hmm. Swim. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. out there for two hours in like 88-degree water, which just sounds dangerous, number one. But um, very, very unpleasant. Um, archery's been super cool. I love the skateboarding. My my nephew is into skateboarding, and I can't skateboard <laughs> to to save my life. Um, I, in fact, I'd probably injure myself badly. Um, yeah, if I if I tried to do it, but I have an appreciation for it, and it was cool to to see that in in the Olympics for the first time. So it's been yeah, it's it's been fun to to watch it. I have my gripes about the Olympics and the IOC as an institution. Oh, for sure. But I love the athletes. I love watching competition. Doesn't matter the sport caught triathlon. I mean it's it's been fun. Uh it's for been sure. fun to have that to look forward to like every morning and every evening. And I feel like once it's all over after this coming weekend there'll probably be a bit of a letdown that there aren't any Olympics on yeah. T V. I mean track season's gonna go on, but it's just not the same. Yeah, well, it's the type of thing like no one really cares about. The average person isn't caring about world championships or stuff like that. They only care about it every four years or five years in this case. Yeah, so. Cool, man. Um, and so so training's going well. I think if, if anyone's curious what Mario's doing, you can follow him on Strava. It's all there. To see, can see it all. It's, uh, it's really fun. But why don't we get into these questions? Well, let me throw it back. To okay. you. You're heading to Maine this weekend yeah. for your race. That's obviously very exciting. I know how passionate you are about swim run and everything that you're doing with the low tide boys, but how are you doing? I mean, I'm good. Uh, yeah, I feel pretty fit. I've managed to not get injured all all pan you know, all pandemic and, and shut down. So so 
so that's been that's been really fun and yeah my my swim is in a place that it hasn't been in a really long time since before children so so it's great to be able to um yeah to see to see what I'm been able to do and yeah I mean I literally spend five to ten hours a week just thinking and talking about swim run which is a super niche sport that pretty much only if you listen to like Rich Roll or us you might know about kind of thing um and now the morning shakeout podcast um and it's just it's it's just really fun to see how the sport is really growing and the enthusiasm for the U.S. races. The, the Swim Run World Championship is happening next month, and there's only four teams from the U.S. going mm-hmm. this year. And I kind of made it my mission that I want to double that by next year. Not 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 by my, not by the low tide boys going. Uh, I don't think we're ready for that just yet. But, um, but yeah, just just sharing the love of the sport that's really fun and it's kind of like what trail running was 20 years ago just like Mm -hmm. a bunch of cool people everyone's supportive and going on an adventure yeah and some people are faster than others but that's not what it's about coming out of the worst stages of the pandemic does it feel like the sport has more momentum or maybe some fresh enthusiasm behind it I think so. I think so. I mean, right before the pandemic, there was a ton of enthusiasm to the point where we were saying that, you know, 2020 was going to be the year of swim mm-hmm. run. The first Swedish um, style swim run uh, the, the, who, who put on the event, Atala, which is uh, basically the Ironman of swim run, they, were put, they hosted their first event in the U.S. And there was a lot of enthusiasm around that in, um, you know, March 2020. And then everything shut down. So we kind of took it on as our mission to just try to keep people <laughs> keep people interested in what was going on. And we, on our podcast, we shared a lot of sort of history of the sport and just try to tell interesting stories and just really followed our curiosity and enthusiasm for the sport. So kind of had a little bit of a light, kept, kept a lifeline there. And now that events are coming back, we're seeing a lot of people reaching out with questions and just being super stoked on it, which, which we think that, yeah, the sport, you know, maybe 2022 will be the, the year of swim run in the U.S., is the Low Tide Boys podcast continuing to grow? Yeah, yeah, it's continuing to grow. Um, it's it's actually kind of ridiculous. Um, if you're in Sweden and someone identifies as a swim runner, if you ask them if they know the Low Tide Boys, there's like an eighty five percent chance they'll say yes. <laughs> so it's just it's kind of, it's kind of ridiculous. In the U.S., not so much. I mean, our, our biggest our biggest fan base is in the U.S., but you know, it's all relative to the size of the sport. I mean, there's only twelve races, swimmer races in the country. Um, happening this year. So, you know, there just isn't a lot of, of, a lot of opportunities, but yeah, it's, it's great. And um, I, honestly, I think swim run is such a unique thing that I can sort of wax philosophical about it in the sense that, you know, it's, yes, it's swimming and running then swimming and running, but when you really get into it, it actually just turns into a single thing, a swim run where the transitions are seamless. You're just, you know, run and hit a body of water and just keep going. It's, it's pretty cool. I love it. Yeah. You ready for questions? Throw them at me. All right. So the first question comes from John. He loves the podcast and the newsletter and would love to hear more about the series of events leading up to, to the starting of both. He says that your enthusiasm, Mario, for the sport bleeds into your coverage, and he wants to know how he can channel his own passion for running into a creative pursuit. That is a loaded yeah. question. Um, it wasn't a quick series of events that led to the launch of the newsletter and eventually the podcast to rewind quite a few years, actually. It all starts with me getting into competitive running and becoming a fan of the sport. 
in high school. And then when I went to college, that only grew. And when I left school, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life professionally. I could not have told you at that time that I would have been writing about running or coaching runners or hosting a podcast. I mean, this is like 2004, so podcasts weren't really... I mean, running is your thing. life. It, it is. In a lot of ways, it, it, is, my, it is my life. Um, I don't think of myself as a very one-dimensional person, but that is a very major dimension of, <laughs> of my life, and there are a lot of things connected to it. But it goes back to those high school, college years and just developing a love for the sport and the culture of running. So when I graduated college, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something in running. And the first avenue that I went down was to see how good of an athlete I could be, if I could become a professional athlete. Long story short, that didn't work out. And I had to get a job and I wasn't sure that it would be in running. Turned out it was not. I started working for a newspaper and answering phones. I've told the story before I was a call taker in the sports department of my local newspaper, and I was the guy who put together the box scores and wrote little roundups of high school and college games, but I loved doing it. I loved just getting pieces of information and putting the story together. Eventually, I took over the running column for the newspaper. A couple years after that, I started freelance writing for different running publications. I was also a copy editor at the newspaper for about two years, so kind of cutting my journalistic teeth in that way. In 2010, a big turning point for me was getting a job at Competitor Magazine, competitor.com, as the web editor. And not to fast forward through too much, I spent six years at Competitor. By the time I left in 2016, I was senior editor of competitor, the publication, uh, doing work for both the magazine and the website. I was in charge of all of our training content. I produced a lot of it. Uh, I assigned a lot of it. I covered a lot of events. I'd been to Boston Marathon, New York City Marathon, Olympic trials, national championships, ultras, you name it. So that love for the sport, the interest in it continued to grow as I gained experience as a writer, as an editor in media. Toward the end of my time at Competitor, and I didn't know it was the end of my time at Competitor, I really was searching for an outlet to write about the things that I really wanted to write about. And I did a lot of that at Competitor, to be fair. But when you work for a publication, you have content plans that you have to follow. And there are just things I couldn't write about. I couldn't really get opinionated. I didn't really do long form interviews. I couldn't share anything that didn't have anything to do with running. So I wanted to create an outlet for that. And that was the birth of the morning shakeout. And I sat on the URL for quite a while. I went back and forth about what it was going to be. Was I going to start a blog? Should I start an email newsletter? Do I do a print publication? I had no idea. And I didn't have any professional or business ambitions behind it. It was just something that I wanted to put out into the world. And I ultimately decided on an email newsletter because I wanted to go where people were spending most of their time. And for better or worse, a lot of folks spend a lot of time in yeah. their inbox. And mm -hmm. it can be a mindless thing, but I didn't want 
people to have to think about where they would find the morning shakeout. So from the very beginning, I was like, all right, I'm going to go where people spend a lot of time and I'm going to be very consistent about it. And as of this conversation next week, so right as this podcast comes out, the 300th issue of the Morning Shakeout email wow. newsletter will come out. I've not missed a week, 300 straight weeks. It's come out every Tuesday morning, 2.15 a.m. Pacific time is when it gets scheduled <laughs> for us, so 5.15 on the East Coast, late morning in Europe. And I should rewind a little bit from here. Back in late 2016, when I left Competitor to pursue a, a startup opportunity that ultimately fell through, and I had to figure out what it was I was going to do with my life really from right. a professional standpoint. At that point, all I wanted to do was write the morning shakeout. The podcast didn't exist yet. And I found a way to monetize it. And I don't say that in a, in a skeezy way. I wanted to partner with brands that I really believed in. Matt Taylor from Tracksmith had reached out to me prior to that and said if I was ever interested in partnering with a brand he wanted to be first in line. So I went back to him and he was good on his word and Tracksmith was the first and is still a sponsor of yeah. the Morning Shakeouts, another brand that I really believe in and, and align with and has honestly been integral in allowing me to do this as a profession. And the other part of that is the podcast, which launched in late 2017, I had started listening to podcasts about a year prior, and there were some that I liked, but I couldn't find the one that I really wanted to listen to. And I've always enjoyed interviewing people. I had actually been doing a interview series called Going Long for the Morning Shakeout, and I would interview someone and transcribe it to text and put photos in it. Um, but podcasting was the the next evolution of that, was just to save the audio and clean it up a bit. That's what John Summerford does so well for me. He's edited every episode of the Morning Shakeout podcast, all 170 of them to this point. Shout out to John Summerford of bearsrecords.com. He's been, he's been crucial to the, the success and the high quality of, of the Morning Shakeout podcast. And I, I launched that in 2017. And it's really selfishly the podcast that I wanted to listen to. Yeah. And I knew that I had the experience, the connection and the chops to do it myself. And it's to this day, one of my favorite things that I do every week is just sitting down with someone and having a long form conversation about, about them and, and their life and their role in the sport and how the relationship to running has, has evolved. And I am very, very, fortunate that I get to do this as a profession. It's how I make my living. Yeah. Uh, I treat it very professionally. I have you on board helping out with sponsorship. I have Jeff Stern, who manages the social media, John Summerford, who edits the podcast so that they are high quality and they sound great when you listen to them week in and, and week out. So it's really a culmination of years of... Sure immersing myself in the sport, growing a love for it, which continues to this day, gaining experience as, as a writer, as an interviewer, as an editor, and being able to, to use those things to produce a newsletter and a podcast 
every week. Yeah, I always joke how you have this really just deep Rolodex of you can access. I'm sure all the years in competitor. I mean, Rolodex, I don't know if anyone under 25 <laughs> probably knows what that is. But, you know, back Digital in the day, Rolodex. <laughs> back in the day, you used to just uh, have a little note card with people's name and numbers on them and you could have it be alphabetical. Um, now, you know, John is asking, you know, he kind of wants to pursue this passion for running in a creative pursuit. Do you have any any advice for him how what he should do? I think passion's the key word there. There are a lot of folks today who see what I do and see what other folks who do similar things to me do and say, I, I want to do that. That looks cool. And it is cool, uh, but it ain't easy. Yeah. Let me tell you, it is not easy. I mean, even early on when I started focusing on the morning shakeout as a job and I treated it as a job. It wasn't making much money. Still makes enough now. I live pretty frugally to help me get by. But I mean, it's not an easy thing to do as a profession. If you set out to do that from the very beginning, tell you right now, you're going to fail. There has to be a passion behind it. And you've got to want to do it for the right reasons. And not that doing it as your job isn't the right reason. That's one of my main reasons for doing it now, but I do it every week because it's something that I want to exist in the world. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't want it to exist in the world, I would stop doing it. Uh, Or if I lost interest in it, I would, I would definitely stop doing it. Um, But it requires a high level of, of passion. But if you want to do it well and you want people to read your newsletter or listen to your podcast, you got to put your reps in. I mean, I spent years putting reps in at the newspaper, freelancing for different publications. And then the six years at competitor were highly formative for me. So when I started doing this, I wasn't starting from scratch. I had a pretty solid foundation. I knew how to write. I knew how to interview. I knew what the editing process looked like. I had an idea of what a sponsorship model could look like. And I was able to lean on those things to make it what it is today. Um, But decide for yourself what you want it to be. Make sure that passion is leading the way. And then this sounds really cliche, but if you want it to be successful, however you define that, consistency is going to be the key. There are a lot of people who start out doing these sort of things and they're fired up out the gate and they do it for two or three weeks in a row and then something pops up. Yep. And I mean, I've had plenty of weeks where stuff has popped up, but I still get the newsletter written. I still produce the podcast unless it's a week where I've planned to, to take a break with that. And it's hard. I mean, it's, it's really hard to do something with consistency and that goes for a number of different things in life. But as it relates to creative pursuits like this, there have been plenty of weeks where the last thing I wanted to do is stay up past midnight on a Monday to make sure the morning shakeout looked good the next morning. I wanted to be in bed sleeping because who, <laughs> who doesn't? But I, I take my work very seriously and I want my readers and my listeners to have a great experience when they're reading the newsletter, listening to the podcast. And that doesn't just happen. Um, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into that. So it's, it's that consistency. It's sticking with it. It's realizing like anything else in life, it's going to get hard and you've kind of got to ride those, you've got to ride those bumps. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think for me, what's allowed me to do that is, is the passion part of it. I just, I love the sport. I love running. It's given me so many good things in my life. I want to share that with other people. And when things get hard, that really helps me to stay on the path. That's a great answer. Great, great answer. Um, 
Now, the next question is from Laura S. She's a fellow New Englander from uh, from the Shire up in Nashua, New Hampshire. New Hampshire. She loves reading the newsletter every Tuesday morning, and her favorite part is the bottom line because it's always so thought-provoking. The, her question is, how do you find these quotes, and what is your process in deciding on which quote you're going to add? Oh, man, I've been doing the bottom line without knowing that I was doing the bottom line since high school. I've always loved quotes. I pay attention to whatever it is that I'm reading or I'm listening to or I'm watching, I always have a notebook, like literally within arm's reach. I have one right here in my bag. And when I see a quote or a lyric that stands out to me, I write it down or with my phone computer these days, I send it to a note on my computer. I actually Mm -hmm. have an Apple note that syncs with all my devices and I just throw stuff there when I find it. So the, the bottom line is, is not hard for me because I'm finding quotes and lyrics and things that, just speak to me, resonate with me in some way all the time. And I find them in web articles. I find them in books. I find them in songs. I find them in interviews that I've read or listened to. Um, anything is fair game. I've seen them on signs, like on the side of a road, <laughs> bumper stickers. I mean, you name it. Um, you can find inspiration just about anywhere. And I throw all those things into a file and and I keep them because I like to reference them often, even when I don't put them in the newsletter. But I always just pull one out every week, one that I've been thinking about or, you know, has has just been been jiving with me that week. And that's usually what I share. If there's if there is an underlying theme to the newsletter in a certain week, oftentimes the bottom line will tie it all together. And uh, and so so I'm assuming this is a pretty long Apple note. Do you do you have it indexed in any way, or do you just like, oh yeah, remember remember this quote that I think makes sense that I read like three years ago? I'm just going to go find it. Is it like that? It's just like that. Um, and Apple Notes actually isn't great. I'm sure I could index it and maybe make chapters or tabs or something like that. I haven't really looked into it. So when I want to find a quote, I usually have an idea of who said it or one of the keywords that are in there, and I do a search and it'll bring it up. But it's not easy to find actually mm-hmm. in an Apple Note. And I've been saying for months now that I'm just going to copy the Apple Note, put it into a Google Doc, which has much better search, mm-hmm. and it'll make things easier to find. But it's just a long-running note file. It's not indexed in any way. Um, the thought of doing that seems really, really overwhelming, but it's probably a good idea at some point. I'm sure there's some listeners working in tech that have like a bunch of apps that they want to recommend to you right now. So if you have that, if you have the perfect app for Send Mario, them my way. Send them our way. <laughs> awesome. Well, that, that's, a, that's a great question. Thank you. Laura, the next question comes from Ben Jackson from Hamilton, New York. It's a two-parter. He, he knows that you have amazing thoughts on how to change our sport for the better. Have you considered trying to bring some of the quote-unquote higher-ups of the sport onto the show to discuss what's being done or not done to grow and change? He'd certainly listen to that. Yeah, a lot of people listen to that. I'd love to have those conversations. I've reached out to some of those people. <laughs> I haven't gotten favorable responses, if I, if any response at all, to be quite honest, from some of them. But I'd love to talk to the CEO of USA Track and Field, Max Siegel. Uh, Vin Lanana and I will have a conversation at some point. He's the president of USA Track and Field. I do want to talk to more higher-ups at different brands. I've had a few of those conversations, but not many. And those are always tricky because you've got to deal with PR people, and mm. they want questions ahead of the interview and they want and no I want I want control I want to be able to ask you what I want to ask you and I want you to be upfront and honest with me about it and you don't always get that from yeah. higher ups at an organization but I'm going to try so stay tuned for some of those conversations here in the coming months I think it's important the conversations I like to have I do have many of these conversations with 
athletes especially that I have on some coaches too about struggles and challenges that they face as it relates to the sport but I'd love to just go right to the top brass and ask them very openly and honestly what the f are they doing (laughs) (laughs) okay now uh Ben's second part of the question he's actually visiting the Bay Area for the first time ever uh next month and he's going to be in half moon bay which is a lovely lovely part of the the bay area do you have any recommendations on where to run half moon bay is lovely bring your winter running gear because it does get pretty cold there um it's fogged in most of the time i say that half jokingly but it will not be 80 90 degrees there most days probably like 50s 60s and and overcast so make sure you you have the appropriate attire for that but half moon bay itself is beautiful there is a coastal trail right in half moon bay that's Mm -hmm. pretty flat along the ocean and i definitely recommend hitting that up super runnable um great views of of the ocean and the mountains there that are right behind you if you drive a little ways up the coast you can go to montera mountain which I've run many a time. You can get up pretty high, even better views of of the ocean, the peninsula, even toward the city if it's clear. You get some you can get some amazing views there um and some good vertical gain. But let me throw that back to you. I mean, you've done more running down that way than than I have. Any Yeah, I mean recommendations I th- for Ben? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say uh Montara Mountain is pretty is pretty badass. You pretty much get everything you'd want from a Bay Area sort of mountain trail. And that's in Pacifico, which is just north of Half Moon Bay. Yeah, yeah. so on the on the southern part of Pacifica, northern part of Montara, this little tiny town that if you blink, you just drive right past it on the one. Um, if you want to see some redwoods and stuff like that, you can go inland a little bit from Half Moon Bay and go to Hutterd Park. Yep, Hutterd's great. Um, and uh, yeah, just trails for days. Just just Google it. You'll you'll find all the trails. And then yeah, south if if you want to do some more coastal stuff down in Pescadero, there's some really great trails. So there's just a lot you can do. And right out of Half Moon Bay is the ninety two. Yep. And that will take you inland. If you take ninety two to two eighty and head a little ways north, you can run at Sawyer Camp Trail. Yep. Which is a paved bike path basically six miles one end to the other so you can do a 12 mile out and back i've actually done like 20 plus miles on that trail just going (laughs) back and forth but it's closed to cars there is bike traffic but it's along crystal springs reservoir views are amazing it's fast and flat and there's this just really nice gravel trail that runs kind of along the edges of it Mm -hmm. that is plenty wide enough to run on so you can get on uh, some off-road surface as well if if pavement's not your jam. But I love running there, um, especially Same if you here. have any plans to do a faster workout and you don't need to get on a track. That's probably the best place on the peninsula to do it and only about a half an hour drive or so from Half Moon Bay, if that. Totally. Um, whenever I'm doing work in the peninsula, if I can, I'll stop there and go for a run because it's just, it's a, yeah, for, for sort of running on a road or, or gravel, it's you know, it's wooded. There's a little bit of a canopy. It's really fun. There's water. There's bathrooms. It's, mm-hmm. it's just a great place. To, it's also place. marked every half mile. Yeah. So if you're not a GPS person, I love markers on a trail. Um, just gives you something to think about and focus on. You can take advantage of those as well. Awesome. Yeah. Enjoy your, enjoy your visit to the Bay Area. Your next question comes from Judy in New York City, my town. 
Uh, what are your thoughts on taking breaks and training every quote unquote season after a peak race or not necessary when the athlete is feeling good, not injured or mentally engaged? Should they still take a break to avoid a potential injury? And if so, how long should these breaks last? Great question. The short answer to that is yes. Yes. <laughs> a lot of athletes, especially when things are going really well, the last thing that they want to do is take a break, even if their goal race is in the rear view. But Trust me on this. You want to take your breaks as seriously as you're training and much better to take a planned break and be a little grumpy about it at the beginning than be forced to take a break sometime down the road because you're injured, burned out, sick, overtrained, yeah. overtrained whatever, whatever it may be. I see this all the time, not only with athletes that I work with, but folks who reach out to me for questions, people that I train with. When things are going good, you want to keep them you want to keep them going, but we're human beings. Uh, doesn't matter how experienced you are, how good you are. We all need breaks. You need breaks to absorb training. You need breaks to just shut things down mentally as, as much as physically, especially if you are someone who's doing hard workouts and long runs and always building toward the next goal. That takes a lot of mental and emotional energy. You can't be on all the time. You mm -hmm. got to shut it off. I mean, just like when our phone's battery life <laughs> runs down, you've got to give it a break and plug it in and let it come back to life. Otherwise, it's not going to last you very long. I mean, we're very much the same way. If you don't recharge your battery on a regular basis, it's not going to last as long. It's just not. Um, and, you know, it's it's easy to take a phone to a store and replace the battery, but if you really break a runner down, they're injured, they're burned out, they're tired, I mean, that, that doesn't flip around in a week. Um, and, and those force breaks are less fun than the planned breaks. So I'm a big advocate of taking downtime after a season. I mean, if you think of your year as two six month cycles, I mean, I generally like to have people training for no more than four to five months straight and then taking, you know, two to four weeks of downtime after you could even split that into three cycles a year where, you know, you go, pretty hard for three months, 12 weeks. This is kind of more my jam. I'll, I'll do like three months. I can go 12 weeks, pretty intense with training. And then I'll take a month down and then I can do another three month cycle, month down, another three month cycle, month down. And that, that gets you through the year. You see so many people who just want to just keep going straight through, like what's the next thing. And that can be exciting. It's easy to get wrapped up in that, especially if you live in a place where there's a big community, the weather's right. nice, like here yeah, in the Bay area. I mean, that's, that's the nice thing about living outside of California, honestly. I mean, we're both from the East Coast originally. I mean, in some cases, it forces you to take an off-season. I mean, mm -hmm. that was one of the things I noticed after moving out to California. It's a lot harder for people to take an off-season because you can be outside feasibly and training hard all the time. When you're on the East Coast or in the Midwest or in a place where there's there's winter inclement weather and it's just not pleasant to be outside, it's a lot easier to take that, that downtime. But Wherever you live, whatever you're training for, plan those breaks, take them seriously. They can vary in terms of their length of time. Everyone's a little bit different in this. I know folks who will finish a marathon or an ultra, whatever it may be, they'll take a month off. They won't run. A lot of top Kenyans will do that, believe mm -hmm. it or not. I mean, these are the best athletes in the world. They'll finish their marathon and they will not run a step for a month afterward. And you're like, well, they're training a lot harder than me. I mean, 
you're training hard too. I mean, you're just as focused as they are in a, in a lot of ways. And if they can take that downtime after a race, I mean, you can too, and you'll come back stronger because of it. I think right. that's the the big key is a break is not going to kill your momentum in training. It's going to help you to better absorb all of that work that you had put in. It's going to allow you to reset mentally, emotionally, and physically. And then when you hit the ground running again for your next training cycle, sure, you're going to feel a little clunky at the beginning, a little out of sorts. But your training is going to be so much more productive that next training cycle if you've given yourself a proper break going into it. Um, and, and I think that's a, a huge key to this. But there are a number of ways to, to do the breaks. Um, I've experimented with a bunch myself as an athlete and also with the athletes that I coach. I mean, typically after a marathon, everyone's a little bit different. But oftentimes I will give folks two weeks off. No schedule, no training. I recommend if if they can get away with it, not to run at all, cross train a little bit. If they do want to run, keep it really light and low key and no more than every other day for those first two Mm -hmm. weeks, if you are going to run. And that's, that's 30 minutes max. And that will allow you to detrain a little bit, which is important. I mean, it doesn't, sound like something most people want to do, but you've got to, you've got to do that in order to build yourself back up. So it's two weeks of detraining that's off from running, cross training, right? maybe running every other day. And then from there, we'll take two weeks where we start increasing the frequency again. We'll do two days on, one day off. Maybe we'll reintroduce a longer run, still no workouts. We'll bring some strides back into the mix. But by the end of it, if they've done two weeks of detraining, two weeks of building back up, that's a month not off of training, but it's a month away from hard training. And the break is as mental and emotional as it is physical. But oftentimes by the end of that, they're fired up, they're recharged, they're ready to go. And and it it makes that next cycle that much more productive. And it's also like, that's the natural order of things. Mm -hmm. It's not natural to be hitting it for 10 years straight, you know, trying to see how, how high you know, how high the peak you can hit. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's natural to take breaks. And I think that, yeah, I think the way you put it makes a lot of sense. Like it's hard for people. I mean, speaking for myself, it's hard for me to take breaks because, you know, as you mentioned out here, the real concern is just whether there's daylight or not in the morning for me, (laughs) you know, I'm pretty self-motivated to do stuff. But yeah, like I force myself to take breaks because it's, it's not natural to just, you know, put out, however many hours of volume you're, you're, you're trying to do without getting hurt. And it also, like you said, from the mental side, I think you need to trust that the fitness will come back. And it isn't like if you stop training for a couple of weeks that, you know, you're at ground zero because that's just not the way. No, your fitness is not going to completely erode in two weeks. It just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And the way I try to frame this for my athletes, these breaks, rest, it's a part of training. It's not separate from training. Like mm-hmm. rest is a part of training. As our mutual friends, Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus like to say gonna bring it all up. the time, stress plus rest equals growth. Training is a stress. Rest is taking a break. Rest is taking an off day once a week or every two weeks, whatever works for you. I mean, the there's no exact or universal formula. It's a little bit different for everyone, but you've got to build those breaks in there. You've got to build those periods of rest on a micro level. Maybe that's, you know, on a weekly cycle, on a biweekly cycle, on a macro level, that's looking at your year as a whole, looking at things seasonally and building in short, medium, long breaks, depending where you are, what it is that you're training for, what you have coming up ahead. Because I mean, I can't tell you how many folks that I've had who come to me and they're they're 
they're fried. Um, they're fried from not taking a break, and they've got this big race on the horizon. And it's like, it's like, hey, well, you chose not to take your break seriously, yeah. and now you're now you're burned out, and you've got this big monumental thing in front of you, and you can't even wrap your head around doing it because you've just you haven't given yourself a break. You've been going hard for too long. So, so, let, let, so just a little foreshadowing. We have some ultra questions coming up later in mm-hmm. this later in this AMA episode. Um, would you say it's a true statement that the bigger or longer your A race, the longer your break should be? So if you do, if it's a 5K, maybe it does, I mean, I guess it depends on intensity, but if you're doing like a 100 miler, your break should be longer as opposed to something shorter? Yeah, it depends on the event and individuals come off of these things differently. So 100 mile is very long. Um, the intensity relative to certainly a 5K, but even a marathon is not as high. Oftentimes the terrain is more varied than what you get in a marathon. I know folks who come off hundred milers better than others come off of a road marathon. Mm -hmm. Um, you hear, I mean, you're a multi-sport athlete, so you're familiar with this. I, this, this one like boggled my mind the first time I heard it, but I asked an Ironman athlete, I'm like, Hey, what's, what's harder? Like the Ironman or racing an all out road marathon? Every single one of them says racing an all out road marathon. And that's, you know, two and a half to four hours versus their Ironman, which is, if they're very good, nine and a half to 12 and a half hours or more. And it's because the intensity of the marathon is so much higher. And you're doing that for 26.2 miles on pavement. So there's a lot of repetitiveness to it. And your body's beat up worse after. And you might need more time than you would after an Ironman. Mm -hmm. So there's no universal formula to that. But generally, like longer races take their toll on your body. 100 miler ultras if you're awake for say 24 hours straight or more um that's gonna mess you up uh and you need to be careful you know coming off of that and you know it's it's hard too i mean not a lot of athletes do this because it's expensive and inconvenient but there's a lot going on under the hood and i mean i think you know getting regular blood work for me as an athlete and with some of the athletes that i I coach has been really insightful because we can actually look at key markers and see how recovered they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the blood doesn't lie, you know? So, I mean, I think it, it depends on, it depends on the event. I know some people who a hundred miler does not take as much out of them as a hard road marathon, but whatever it is, it's just really respecting what it is that you did and the toll that it's taking on your body and realizing that you're better off taking a little bit more time to recover than like one or two days less because that's going to be a lot deeper hole to dig yourself out of than, you know, feeling rusty for a few days and getting that sharpness back. Yeah. It's a really good question. I think people need to hear that a lot, <laughs> that advice a lot. Before we move on to sure. the next question, the last thing I'll add to that, most people listening to this, most people who get involved in endurance sports, whether it's running, marathons, ultras, triathlon, they're pretty motivated people. Um, it takes quite a bit to just get to the finish line of these events. And then if you have performance goals, it takes quite a bit more to get there. Motivation is, is not the problem. The number one thing that I do as a, as a coach isn't kick people in the ass. It's 
hold them back. It's to <laughs> it's to remind them the importance of rest and recovery and being patient and methodical and taking a longer view. And I think right now that's even heightened because races are starting to come back. The calendar is filling up. People haven't been out for over, many people haven't been out for over a year at this point. They just want to do everything. And it's like, hey, especially with these longer races. I mean, nice thing about like 5Ks and 10Ks, yeah, you can do them more frequently. Um, They're intense, but they're they're short and they definitely aren't going to take nearly as much out of you as um, a marathon or or an ultra, but we're coming into marathon season right now. I've got people who are like, yeah, I'm going to do like two or three marathons this fall. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, some people are doing them back to back. People in Chicago and Boston, like back to back. Oh, I know. I mean, you see the marathon majors. I mean, this is a, a small percentage of, of the population, but people see that and they're like, well, sure. I'm going to, I'm going to go and do that. And it's like, well, let's slow the roll just yeah. a, a little bit. So, I mean, the biggest thing is, really recognizing the value and importance of rest and recovery, making it a part of your training, not something that exists separately from that, because that is what is going to help you take your performance to the next level, but it's also what's going to give you longevity in your chosen sport. That's a great answer. Our next question comes from Chip. He's asking, how are you feeling about running Boston? It's not really Patriots Day, which I think we all agree it's a little bit of a bummer. Um, but uh, is there something that's sort of crossing your mind as you're prepping for it, or are you really just you know excited to be back out there in the fall? Yeah, I am super excited to be running Boston in October. In fact, I was not going to run a marathon this fall, and I'm running Boston because it's in October, and I I really hope for a number of reasons. It's the only time in my life that the Boston Marathon is ever held in October. But that race is really special to me. I grew up in the area. It's my favorite race. I've done it five times now. And the opportunity to do it in October, just because it's that's just so unique. Um, mm-hmm. I want to be a part of that. I feel like it's going to be a celebration of races returning after the last year and a half of so much uncertainty. I want to be a part of of that energy. And I feel like that energy is going to be there. The fact that it's not on Patriots Day, sure. I mean that's a bit of a that's a bit of a bummer. But I mean it's it's still Marathon Monday, even though yeah. it's in October. <laughs> uh and I think that's that's what's exciting me more than the fact that it not being on Patriots Day is making me sad and in any way, but I'm excited to go back there. I'm hoping that we get quintessential New England fall day. It's cool and we can run really, really fast. Uh, that would be amazing. But I mean, having Never grown know. up there and <laughs> the way that weather patterns are going these days, who knows what we're going to get? I mean, it could be blazing hot. It could be mm-hmm. cold. We could have precipitation. Who knows? I mean, I'll, I'll deal with whatever the day throws at me, but I'm excited. It's still Boston. People in Boston and the surrounding towns get really fired up for that race. I have no reason to believe that they won't be fired up for it this year. So, I mean, bring it on. Let's let's line up in Hopkinton on October 11th and have ourselves a fun day. I love it. I love it. All right. Our next question comes from Tim. 
So this is a doozy. He has recently started running at the ripe old age of 47. That's not old, by the way. My main goal is to attempt an FKT on the Wind River High Route here in Wyoming, a 100-mile endeavor. I'm building towards the fitness needed for this ambitious goal slowly and consistently. My question is this. Should I be focused on training and racing some road and trail marathons slash 50K efforts? right from the get-go, or like a high school and college runner might and train and race some 5K and 10Ks, progress to the half, and then focus on the marathon. doesn't matter. That is a loaded a lot going question. On there. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. I guess what I would ask Tim in response to that is, how long do you have to prepare for this? Because 100 miles through... Wyoming is going to be pretty rugged. Also sounds like it'll be beautiful. And if he's going for an FKT, performance is an objective, so he obviously is going to need a high level of fitness to do that. My general recommendation would be to give yourself as much time as possible to prepare. So say that's six months, right? And six months out, your training for something like that should be the least specific. I don't know that I would train like a cross-country runner and focus on 5K, 10K, but if you're doing something that mimics high-level marathon training six months out from a 100-mile attempt like that, you're going to develop a high level of fitness. And if you do that for, let's just say, eight weeks, two months, that gets you to four months out from this rugged FKT in the mountains of Wyoming. Once you've established that high level of fitness, I would start to transition the training away from marathon type training. So faster, flatter track workouts, long runs that involve a lot of steady state running and make it more specific to the task at hand. I don't know where Tim lives, but if you have an opportunity to get out on the course, check out as much of it as you can Mm -hmm. beforehand. Eventually, it's going to become about spending more time on your feet on terrain that mimics what you'll face during the FKT. And from a specificity standpoint, that's going to mean more time on your feet, less intense workouts, more steady state type stuff, but over terrain that replicates or is on even the course that you're going after this FKT because you need to dial in your effort. You're going to need to dial in your fueling If you can get on the course, you're going to need to understand where you can play to your strengths and then Mm -hmm. where your weaknesses may get the best of you. Those are the things that you're going to want to work on during those four months after the initial like eight weeks of higher level marathon training. But that's where I would start. I'd start by taking two months, if you got six months to do this, to get really, really fit, develop a high level of marathon type running fitness, and from there, translate it into trail specific fitness for I think for that makes a lot FKT. of sense because I mean what 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 he what he doesn't have since he recently started running is sort of experience dealing with the things that happen to runners during races and things like that and the more experience you can develop or acquire before an effort like this the better because yeah you need to understand how your body's going to respond after running for 4 hours or whatever it is or how are you going to handle hills and how your body um, you know, how do you train your body depending on the course and all that stuff? So yeah, I think the experience piece in addition to just fitness is going to be super huge. Yeah. A hundred mile FKT attempt over rugged terrain. I'll just say it's a different sport than a road marathon. It really is. I mean, they are similar to one another in 
different ways, but the specific demands of each of those things is very, very different. But I would train like a marathoner just to get really fit, especially if you come from a running background and that's sort of your bread and butter. You know that's going to work for you. That's going to get a high level of fitness underneath your belt. But I'd spend a good four months in that case, maybe more if you're not familiar with that type of terrain, you haven't done a lot of ultras, I don't know what his experience level is, just dialing in the specifics and sharpening the tools that you're going to need to be successful for that FKT. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, good luck. Good luck with that. It sounds like quite the undertaking. Yeah, let us let us know how it goes. Um, all right, the next question comes from Randy S. He is curious about your take, Mario, on the bit of quote-unquote controversy surrounding Timothy Olsen's FKT on the, on the PCT. Um, he had to take a few reroutes, not sure how extensive, to avoid fires, but reportedly did his best to match the distance and terrain on the sections that he couldn't go on. To me, that's an honest attempt, but some out there might think that he didn't do the exact PCT, so it shouldn't be a recognized FKT. What do you think? So this is an interesting question, and Billy Yang and I on our Patreon-exclusive podcast, The Weekly Rundown, last week talked to Coach Jason Koop, who is Tim Olson's coach and was his main crew person for the PCT-FKT attempt, about this very issue. And he really helped frame it in a different light for me. That being said, the PCT is something that I'm aware of. I haven't spent a lot of time on it personally myself. I'm not a thru-hiker, but I know that there was a, a little bit of an uproar from the thru-hiking community about whether or not he followed the the true route. And the way that Coop framed it, which was which was really insightful, is that the trail itself is always going to be a little bit different year in and year out because of trail maintenance that's being done. Right now, the big concern is fires. That's why a lot of the trail was closed because of fires. And it's mm -hmm. constantly being rerouted, adjusted, and it's never going to be exactly the same year in and year out. And they recognize that. And what they tried to do was run as much of the trail, the marked trail that was accessible as possible, unless they got to a point that said, do not enter. And he said there were through hikers who were poaching those areas and getting through, but they weren't going to do that, which I respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, for sure. Rules are rules. And they said if they ran into trouble in one of those areas, they weren't getting help. So they tried to run as much of the marked an accessible route as they could. They rerouted where they had to. In some cases, they backtracked to get back on the trail to cover as much of it as possible. And Coop said when all was said and done, they were within, I think it was 10 miles of the established distance of the PCT. And they were very adamant about honoring that and hitting the mileage as close as they can. And they said, if you talk to through hikers who chart the mileage, there's always going to be a little bit of a sure. variance, but they were, they were within 10 miles of the, I think 2,600 miles or whatever it is of the, you know, of the PCT with these things, there's always going to be controversy. The longer it is, the more controversy mm -hmm. there's potentially going to be. But I do think after talking to Coop and everything that I've read about it, 
They put an honest effort forward. They did everything that they could do to run as much of the trail that was accessible as possible. They went out of their way to go back on the trail where they had to and get to the restricted access point was and 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 carry forward. They had to run on the road in certain areas because mm-hmm. the trail was closed, but the mileage was there. Um, the intent was honest. I think the effort was honest. There's always going to be some debate about it. I am not super well-versed in the world of FKTs. I am not a PCT aficionado, but for my money, I think it should count as a supported FKT. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I think that, as you mentioned, the course changes slightly every year with maintenance and stuff. And if they followed the established course for the year from what was available, then it should count, right? Just because of if it's going to be different every year anyway from just mm-hmm. where they're doing maintenance and stuff, like why wouldn't it count? And the fact that they went above and beyond, I mean, I can't imagine how hard it is to essentially backtrack to the start of an open trail when you're trying to cover that much distance. Like if it was just me, I just want to keep going forward. So, so I think, yeah, I think it was an honest effort as well. Our next question comes from Tamika C. She is building up for the Berlin Marathon this fall. Awesome race. Enjoyed that one when I did it a bunch of years ago. Um, what, in your opinion, should be written in a daily running log or diary in order to be able to get some useful information while reflecting on training in the future? I like that question. Yeah. Don't overcomplicate it. You obviously want the day, the amount of miles that you ran, and or the time that you were out running. Some notes on the run or workout itself. Was it a specific session? If it was, what were the intervals? What were the rest? What were your splits? Also, how did you feel before, during, and after? What was the weather on that day? And it can be as simple as temperature, sun, wind coming from the west, something like that. And then I also like to put in the shoes that I ran in. Strava makes it real easy because you just Mm -hmm. get it from a drop-down menu. But even pre-Strava, I'd always put in the shoes that I was wearing for that workout because I'd always have multiple ones going and I could track mileage on them that way. But, I mean, you really want that diary to be something that you can reference down the road. So for this marathon buildup, say you're doing a 12-week buildup, you've got 12 weeks of training in there and you can – Look back, even over the course of that cycle, say you did repeat 800s at the beginning of the cycle. Well, how many did you do? Six. Okay, maybe you did them in three minutes with two minutes rest. That's a workout that you're going to repeat four, six weeks down the road. You can compare notes, um, how many reps you did, the paces that you ran, how you felt. Um, some people will put in even what they ate the night before or the night after. So that way, when you get to race day uh, or even before race day, just getting ready for long runs, um, you have that information in there and you can make decisions. You're like, okay, I know like this meal the night before works for me. So it doesn't have to be a novel, but I think just mm-hmm. important, useful pieces of information that you can look back on or cross-reference at some point to inform future decisions is all that you need to have in there. So let me ask you a follow-up question to that. When you've, I mean, you've been doing running journals for a long time, what information in the journal is most helpful to you that you've used to incorporate into future training or, or changing your, your training in the future? How I felt and any factors that affected how I felt. Did I have a poor night of sleep the night before? So oftentimes I might write in my journal bombed that workout, wanted to do eight reps, could only do five, slept like crap 
mm-hmm. the night before need to dial that in for next time. Something like that to me is very, very useful. Um, more useful, I would say, than the hard numbers oftentimes. You know, I ran 10 miles or 73. I mean, that can that can be useful too, especially if you have, you know, loops that you run or workouts that you do often, you can kind of compare them across a spectrum of, of time, but really those feelings and any factors that might have affected how, why I felt a certain way. Um, I like to look back on and use that information to inform future decisions that I make. Yeah. And I'll just throw this out there. I think uh, you mentioned Strava earlier. Um, there is a notes section in Strava mm-hmm. that isn't public. So that's what I use to track workouts is uh, I just, I use the Strava as essentially my journal. I just write in the notes kind of how I'm feeling and what's going on. Yeah. And Strava can take away a lot. I like the manual act of writing in mm-hmm. a training log and having to add things up. And I don't index that well either. <laughs> um, I'm sure you're talking about the quotes earlier, but, but Strava does it. It makes stuff easy to find. Uh, it'll total your mileage on your shoes really well. I mean, now it pulls weather information from your watch or your, mm-hmm. your zip code. So it just auto populates that in there, but I like writing it in. I think there's something to be said for going the analog route and writing in a log, it feels a lot more personal. It's tactile when you're putting pen to paper. I mean, I've been doing this since high school, so it's it's just something that is, is a part of me at, at this point. But whether you do it that way, whether you do it on Strava, whether you have an Excel sheet, a Word doc for yourself, I mean, just put in the information that is going to be useful to you sometime down the road. Definitely. All right. You ready for our last question? Oh, we're up on the last one? Yeah. Let's go for it. So this question comes from Caitlin. She's training for her third marathon this fall. And one thing that she's been trying to work on is fueling. Um, And she thinks this is one of the areas where she has a lot of room for improvement. I think that would be a general statement for most people (laughs) could improve on their fueling. Um, So she's curious if it'd be more of a personal preference, but she'd be interested to know your thoughts based on your knowledge of of experience. She's tried, uh, she's found that that chews work better for her, but Mm -hmm. she's wondering whether... You should take a full serving, which is three chews to get the full benefit. You should take one chew every mile for, or one chew every three miles or something. So I think she's just curious as to, um, you know, your opinion on, on chews as a fueling source and then just, you know, fueling in general for, for marathons. Chews are a great fueling source. If they work for you, then that's what you should go with. If gels or sports drink don't agree with you for whatever reason, but chews do, that's a great choice for you. Um, the opposite may be true for someone like me or, or you, but if choose work for you, stick with them. In terms of how you get them down, it sounds like you've been doing some experimenting, which is great. And if you're finding it to be more effective just doing a little more frequently... And that still allows you to get in what you need over the course of a long training run or the marathon itself. Great. Um, There's no absolutely right way to get your calories down. Some folks might do, say, three chews every half hour and get six in total. You do one every 10 minutes, you're still going to get six total in per hour. You're still getting the same amount of calories and everything else that the chews are are offering you. And if that just seems to work for you and you're able to do that consistently over the course of a long run or race, it's going to be just as effective as getting three down every half hour or 
you know, two every 20 minutes or whatever the, the frequency is. So play around with that. And I mean, I encourage my athletes to do that, um, as well, because sometimes it can just be too much, you know, to, to get in the case of choose like three of them down all at once when you're running pretty intensely can be really hard, but you can chewy. Yeah. Chewy. Yeah. It it (laughs) takes, it takes a bit of work. Um, that's a lot of masticating right there that you need to do, but, but doing one every, every 10 minutes, I mean, you have to be on it, right? You've got to, you've got to get one down every 10 minutes and remind yourself to do it every 10 minutes. So it's a little more laborious in, in that way. But if it's, if it's digesting easier that way, if it's going down a lot easier by doing it that way, stick with that. I mean, that's, that's going to work. I mean, I know, I know folks who will take a gel packet and they'll be like, all right, I'm going to do half a gel 20 minutes in. I'll do the other half a gel, you know, 20 minutes later. I know other folks who can take out a gel in like one, one big squeeze and then do it again, like half an hour later. So whatever, whatever works for you is the right way to do it. Um, might not be the right way for me to do it or for you to do it, but if it if it works for you, and you've tried other ways that that don't work, stick with what works. Do you have any, uh, you know, let, let's say like any plan B? So, my my fear whenever I'm working on nutrition is sort of over specializing. Like something works really well, and then, you know, if it's if I'm doing a super long race and I'm let's say I'm planning on taking one chew every hour. I'm doing a marathon. It's like 26 chews. I mean, that's just a lot, to, a lot of material to be carrying. Um, and what if that falls and you don't have it with you or something? Do you, what, what do you, what, what are your thoughts on just making sure that you, you know, maybe it's being able to tolerate what's going to be on the course, knowing what's going to be on the course, but also having like a plan B nutrition wise. Yeah. Knowing what's on the course is huge because if what you're carrying on your person fails, you want to, you want to know what's going to be accessible to you, or maybe you're carrying a backup plan on your own. You're like, okay, I'm going to stick with choose. And then if choose don't work, I'm going to go to uh, sports drink, or I will go to gels or, or something like that. So I think having a, having a plan B and being open-minded to that, knowing like, okay, if my A plan doesn't work for whatever reason, then I'm going to go to to this. So if the chews stop being appealing or I have a hard time getting them down, I'm going to go to gels or I'm going to grab sports drink at every other aid station and try to get a little bit down. I mean, more often than not, it's not going to go perfectly, especially with nutrition. A number of factors can throw that off from the intensity that you're running to your stomach just being off to the weather that day. So I think you've got to be, you got to be open-minded and you also have to have a backup plan so that if the chews aren't working in this case, you're not going to freak out. You're like, okay, well, I'm going to go to gels or I'm going to go to sports drink or I'm just going to try getting water down. I mean, it's going to be event dependent as well. I mean, in an ultra, nice thing about an ultra is if something's not working, chances are you get to an aid station or you see your crew, you're going to have a, a mm-hmm. plethora of options that you can go to. I mean, if yeah. the if the sweet sugary stuff isn't working anymore, you can go to some potato chips or you can go to pretzels um, or you can go to ginger ale or well, something like there's that. There's a special place in my heart for Pringles. I, mm-hmm. I was doing a 50 miler and nothing was working and I just took a stack of Pringles and saved my race. Magic. I, I mean, marathons are a little trickier because usually on the course there's sports drink, water, and then usually some kind of gel at some far off mile. Yeah, maybe a banana. On the course, something. yeah, maybe maybe a banana. So in, in the case of a marathon, um, you know, if you're not super confident in, in option A, make sure you've got an option B 
on you because your choices are going to be limited the rest of the way. Ultras are great just because you have more options at the aid station and, mm-hmm. and with your crew. The marathon, less so. So you've got to address that on your own before you get to the start line. But the main thing is knowing what your backup plan is going to be if your original plan goes to shit. Yeah, and I would say, so Berlin Marathon specifically, I think like at a mile at a mile 12 or something, they literally have tea at an aid station, like warm tea. Really? Um, I think like by mile 16, there's you can get a massage if you want. So, you know, depending on what you're trying to do, enjoy it, enjoy the sights, make sure you have some cash so you can have a pretzel after the race. There'll be a bunch of people serving those. So it's pretzel for um, in English, I guess. Um, so there's there's a lot of, you know, have fun with it as well. Now, final question, Mario. Since we're talking about nutrition, and I'm I'm just curious about this for myself, what is your nutrition plan for Boston? So, what has worked well for me the last three marathons that I've run, and I plan on employing again at Boston, I will start the race with a 500 milliliter plastic bottle in my hand, and in that bottle will be the sports drink Morton. It's just worked really well for me. And I will take that with me to the start line. I will sip on it a little bit before the race. Is this but the 160 or the 320? The 160. So that'll be a 160. Okay. Um, and I will carry it with me, and I'll generally drink that down by 5K. And then I'll toss the bottle when I get to one of the aid stations. In my shorts, I will have a spread of Morton gels. They're 100 calories a piece. I use the non caffeinated ones and i will take down three to four of those before the end of the race and that gets me anywhere between 460 and 560 total calories for me over a marathon which is two and a half hours okay and it's made a huge difference i mean i struggled getting gels blocks sports drink down for years. Um, I've, I've gone marathons where I've taken little more than half a gel and then water the rest of the way. Wow. Not ideal. <laughs> Not ideal. At all. Um, but I, I couldn't keep anything down. I couldn't stomach it. And Morton doesn't pay me. They don't send me product. I pay for my, it ain't cheap, but it works for me. And doesn't bother my stomach, doesn't have much flavor to it. I don't even need to really take water with the gels. Mm-hmm. I will take water throughout the marathon at, at various points, but I don't need to take it with the Morton gels. It just goes down super easy for me. Um, so that's more likely than not what I'll be using for Boston. I've been testing it in my long run so far, so good. Knock on wood. I'll continue to do that over the next nine and a half weeks. And as long as I don't have any issues, that's going to be my plan on race day. Awesome. Well, have a great race. This Thank you. It's going to be awesome. Um, I think that's it. We did it. We did it. We're done. AMA number two for 2021 is in the books. Thank you so much for hosting it. Thanks for having me. I'd like to have you host it again next time, but maybe I'll put it out to bid with John and Jeff <laughs> um, to make it fair and equitable to the three of you um, because I know you all enjoy being on the other side of the mic. But thank you once again for hosting this AMA episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Anytime. Thank you so much for listening in to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. A big thank you to both New Balance and Gooder for sponsoring this episode of the show. 
The Fuel Cell Rebel V2 is my new favorite running shoe. It's super light, it's incredibly responsive, and offers good protection underfoot. I think it's the perfect workout shoe, and I will be using it all the time. Check it out today at newbalance.com and consider adding a pair to your rotation. Gooder sunglasses are just the best. Not only do they look good, they don't bounce, they don't slip, and they're polarized to protect your eyes. Best of all, they come in a number of awesome styles and colors. I'm personally a big fan of the OGs, and my favorite colors are Ginger's Soul and Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble. If you'd like to support me in the podcast, treat yourself to a pair or two or maybe three of Gooders and head over to Gooder.com slash Mario and get 15% off your entire order. That's G-O-O-D-R.com slash Mario. That's M-A-R-I-O to get 15% off your order. Your face will thank you. A couple more things before we wrap up. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my longtime producer, John Summerford, who makes every episode of the podcast sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for running the AM Shakeout social media accounts and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last thing, if you are digging this podcast, I think you will love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout, and you can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Every Tuesday morning, you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to. It's a quick read, five, 10 minutes tops, but it will give you plenty to think about throughout the rest of the week. Again, you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. (laughs) 